I really just had this moment when I said, like, I need to really make sure that as I'm in this process of interviewing for jobs and thinking about my next step, that I am building a career from the get-go in which I can continue to allow my light to shine and not cede my light to anyone else, not cede my time to anyone else. And I just decided after listening to your podcast that I needed to protect my time, protect my space, protect my energy from the get-go and make sure I was doing those things early so that I could prevent bad habits from forming early. That is so insightful. Hello, hello. You are listening to Your Unapologetic Career. Being a woman of color faculty in academic medicine who wants to make a real difference with your career can be tough. Listen, these systems are not built for us, but that doesn't mean we can't make them work for us. In each episode, I'll be taking a deep dive into one core growth strategy so you can gain confidence and effectiveness in pursuing the dream career you worked so hard to achieve. All you have to do is tune in to your unapologetic career with me, your host, Kemi Dole, physician, surgeon, researcher, coach, and career strategist for an always authentic, sometimes a little raw, but unapologetically empowering word. I keep it real for you because I want you to win. So I get so many questions along the lines of, ah, how can I work with you? (laughs) You're changing my life and I want more of this. And if you fall into that category and you are a woman of color, faculty member in academic medicine, public health, or allied fields, then just keep listening. Listen, are you building the academic career you want or hard at work checking boxes on everyone else's to-do list? A successful career doing the work you love doesn't mean you have to sacrifice your values, your family, or your joy. Stop trying to be everything to everybody and get to learning the strategies that will 3x your productivity, hone your passions into funded projects, and create the career you worked so hard to achieve. If you've been to every career development and professional development workshop that sounded great, but didn't actually deal with the kind of institutional pressures you face. If you're working hard, but somehow stuck in inefficiency, putting everyone else's priorities first. If you spent years training and sacrificing to become academic faculty, and here you are still working nights and weekends on the projects you care most about, I'm here to tell you that you can walk away from this institutional mindset forever and take control of your career with clarity and strategy. Every day, I help women of color faculty of all career levels in academic medicine, like you, reframe and recreate their academic life so that they can channel their ideas, passions, and skills into grant-funded work with institutional support and sustainability. And that is why this episode is brought to you by Get That Grant, our six-month high-performance coaching program for high-achieving women of color faculty in academic medicine who are ready to reclaim career control and secure grant funding doing the work they love. In Get That Grant, we help you kick imposter syndrome to the curb for good. So you lead your career with clarity and confidence. 
you learn productivity and strategy skills for grants and papers to maximize your chances of success without wasting your time, abandoning your passion, or working yourself into the ground. We help you build the foundation for an amazing and fulfilling academic career, changing your life and the lives of everyone your work will touch. Yes, this future is possible for you and it's waiting on you to make the first step. If you are ready for career success without sacrifice, I encourage you to join our waitlist at kemidole.com backslash grant. After you join the waitlist, you'll be notified when the next Get That Grant cohort will be enrolling. Your application process will include an in-depth career foundations assessment, helping you identify the gaps in your foundation that are holding you back from enjoying the career you work so hard to achieve. No more secret worrying that the career you want isn't really possible. This career assessment will show you exactly where you need to focus to level up your experience and your impact. Join the waitlist today to get in line. Visit kemidole.com backslash grant to sign up. Talk to you soon. Hello. Welcome to the podcast, Neka. Thank you, Kami. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited to chat with you. So first of all, can you just tell us your specialty, where you work, and what good work you're doing in the world? I'm a transplant hepatologist at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, and my work really focuses on improving the quality of life and quality of care for patients with liver disease. I take care of patients with advanced liver disease who are really suffering. Um, This is a group of patients who suffer from ascites, encephalopathy, GI bleeding, they're progressively frail, and they really get very little support from the healthcare system, I think in large part due to stigma associated with liver disease. So Mm. really the purpose of what I do is to build palliative and supportive care interventions to improve their quality of life, their quality of care, as well as that of their loved ones. That is so, one, thank you for sharing. I remember when we first met and you were telling me how it's like a population everybody forgets about in terms of palliative care and like what it actually feels to live with advanced liver disease and have to deal with it. And I remember my impression being like, wow, the way that bias and judgment shows up so deeply in our healthcare system, it's like, you're never going to get to the end. It's like the Pandora's box that just keeps on giving. Uh, Yeah. And I remember having that experience when you first were speaking about this and that, cause I had never thought about it. Of course, it's not my area, but I was like, of course, of course, the moral judgments that we make, the way all of that stuff works in society bleeds into the literal caretaking of these people, which is sad, but I am glad that you do the work you do. Can I just ask you a follow-up? Like what is something important that you think most of the healthcare community or the medicine community or the public health community, whatever, doesn't know about this community that we should? Yeah, I think that this is a community that suffers as much as patients with advanced malignancies. They have Mm. similar symptoms to those patients. And unfortunately, a patient with liver disease, when they come into the hospital and then leave the hospital, may have very little awareness of how sick they are and also receive very little support compared to a patient with cancer. And yes, you know, one of the big things, Kemi, that I realized in, in your program was, you know, initially I thought that my overall purpose was to develop palliative and supportive care interventions for patients with liver disease. But honestly, I realized my purpose mantra in your coaching program, which was mm-hmm. to increase healthcare system empathy for patients with liver disease and their families. 
And Uh, it's just, you know, these patients deserve so much care and support and empathy and empathy, not just emotionally, but actually developing models of care to support them and meet them where they are in terms of their care needs and their family's care needs. So that my time in your program just reshapes the way that I see what I do. Oh my gosh. Ooh. Okay. I have a little bit of chills. Yes. Because, oh gosh. Okay. So Neka, what you're describing is the difference between kind of labeling yourself with the labels that we're given that were offered like, oh, okay. So you are a health services researcher that focuses on quality of life, like going from that to getting to the heart of what actually drives you, which is what you said so beautifully, right? Increasing our systems empathy, two words that usually don't go together around this community that deserves it. I think in addition to that feeling more personal, I imagine, right? In addition to that feeling more real, it's also a place of more creativity, Yes. Right. Because now it's like, gosh, how many different ways can we think about empathy? All the innovation comes from there, right? Instead of let me go read the quality of life journal and see what's the newest, hottest thing. And can I adapt it to my people and chasing, right? Chasing the trend. You're like, I have this unending well of creativity and empathy here. I know. I'm like, I've got all these things I can do. Like I need to build a team around it. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot to do. (laughs) Yeah. Ideas are not the problem, right? Like, let's go. I'm ready. Oh, I love that. Okay. Okay. Oof. What a start. Okay. So I know I'm not the only one listening to you who's sitting here thinking like, wow, she sounds so clear, you know, like, wow. And you are early in your career. So I'm curious what was going on with you when you were kind of like seriously started to seriously consider coaching and specifically what wasn't working for you, especially in somebody who sounds clear about what they want to do. Yeah. So I first learned about your coaching program through social media. I was following you on Twitter. Then I started to listen to your podcast. And this was around the time of my last year of training, which was my transplant mm-hmm. technology fellowship. And I had years earlier started to get a distinct sense that focusing on palliative hepatology was what I wanted to build my career on. But I was worried in the context, honestly, of my job search and thinking about my next steps when I was looking at faculty around me, I was looking at faculty around the country when I was interviewing, and I was just seeing a lot of burnout. I was seeing a lot of people who looked really stuck. Haggard. Like a lot of (laughs) haggard, run down, burnt out, you know, people like it looked like their lights had been extinguished. And I I really just had this moment when I said, I need to really make sure that as I'm in this process of interviewing for jobs and thinking about my next step, that Mm -hmm. I am building a career from the get-go in which I can continue to allow my light to shine and not cede my light to anyone else, not cede my time to anyone else, and to just remain a light in academic medicine and not a fire. Like I felt like there were two types of people I saw in academic medicine. Like there are people who are lights, they're fueled by their passion, they're fueled by their mission. They are mm-hmm. people who, based on what inspires them, they inspire people around them. Like Kemi, you are one of those people. 
And then there are people who are buyers, who are fueled by something that is not related to mission. It's related to getting accolades, getting a grant, but not really caring about that grant. And I just saw those people burn out and burn the people around them. And this is like nationally, not just locally. And I really wanted to be a light. And I just decided after listening to your podcast that I needed to protect my time, protect my space, protect my energy from the get-go and make sure I was doing those things early so that I could prevent bad habits from forming early. Neka, you have preached a sermon today. We are not (laughs) even halfway through. Oh my. So I want y'all to listen to what she said. Listen to this. I saw people who were a light and people who were fires. That is so insightful. The difference between illuminating from the inside, from a well of support, of resourcing versus burning yourself as the fuel. You know what I mean? Like people who are on fire, they're burning themselves up while chasing the gold stars, while whatever. And I think you said something else that is so true, which is that the ladder, you know, that combustible fire burns everybody around you too, right? Everybody else, it's like, it's contagious. It catches. Whereas something like a lighthouse, something that is illuminating draws people in, right? It draws the right people in. It draws the right people to you. It's totally different energy. You just preached a sermon. I mean, it's like Lion King, like everything the light touches. Everything, yeah, exactly. yes. that is, that's the energy I wanted to roll with into faculty here. Yes. I will refrain from going off on the Lion King reference. And I definitely do judge people by the Disney movies that they reference. Because I'm like, why would you bring that up when you could have referenced the Lion King is basically my entire <laughs> position about everything. But um, okay. So that makes sense. So for you, it was like looking out and being like, all right, there are two roads here and I'm not taking that one. Like I got like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how, but I got to figure out a different road for myself. Exactly. I'm curious if you could share with us a moment where something shifted for you. I mean, I guess really big or small, but something that just felt like a real tangible awareness or knowing or shift. Yeah. So many things coming. I think... (laughs) You really taught me to respect my calendar, to respect and value my time. And I really think that starting with the purpose mantra and having that just like it's written up here yes, above my computer so that when I'm looking through my email, I look up there and I say, let me turn my email off or not respond to this or respond yes. to this later. And I think just having the purpose mantra as the filter through which I make decisions for myself, through which I respond to asks through which I allow people to get on my calendar or not get on my calendar and determine Mm -hmm. the times of day that they get on my calendar was really, really huge. You know, I just think that as women of color in academic medicine and black women in in particular, we get asked to do so many things. Come join this committee, come lead this DEI work, come write this book chapter. You know, meet with this applicant, meet with yeah. this trainee. And I think that we're so programmed to be selfless with our time. And I think you reminded all of us that we need to be selfish with our time. Mm-hmm. And if we have a purpose mantra and we remember the value that we're bringing to academic medicine, then that allows us to be selfish with the way that we use our time and use our calendar. And I, I needed that. 
I really, really needed that. So that I think was a really strong and helpful reframing. Yeah, I love that. I think everybody can tell externally it's the case. Training is not designed to have you respect your calendar. In fact, training is designed to have you be clear that your calendar is not yours, (laughs) that you do not own this time at all, but also, and that's like externally, but something happens internally with that too. We're not robots. Like you can't go through that many years, right? At being a fully functional adult who has no control over their schedule. Exactly. Yeah. And who's really like your performance in some way is based on your willingness and ability to seed your time. Every time I do, every time we do interviews, like every year when the trainee interviews come around and the letters of recommendation, Neka, oh my gosh, she always stayed late. She always gave it her best. She never complained. She always went the extra mile. She always, and I'm like, I mean, I get it. I get it. I get it. Don't come into my mentions and at me about this. I get it. (laughs) I get it. I get it. But also it's like, you read it and you're like, no, I mean, you have no chance. Like, of course you're set up to be oriented the exact same way. Of course I'll stay late. Yes. I'll do the committee. Yes. I'll do the extra thing. Yes. And there's no expiration date. It's just like, and I actually like, Kemi, you saying that just, captures another moment for me. Go ahead. <laughs> there were two moments during coaching where I was like, whoo, mind blown. <laughs> okay. So at any time you said, let go of the trainee mindset. Yes. I think was just so critical for all of us because just like you said, we're programmed to say yes, to think that yes. our time is not our own. And then I also think there's this moment when you told all of us, you have to be okay with disappointing people. Okay. And I think that was also really necessary yeah. for me to hear. And I think for many of us, you know, I know that a lot of us suffer from imposter syndrome, but I think mm-hmm. what a lot of us also suffer from is stereotype threat. Like I yes. think we have been so used to worrying that our little imperfections are major um, yes. and are representative of all of us. And I think that if we allow ourselves to not care and <laughs> to just realize that even 90 or 80 or 70% of our work is 120% for most of somebody else's. Oh my God. Yes. It's very freeing. It is incredibly freeing. And there is a moment you said that during get that grants that I think freed a lot of us. Mm, Yes. Okay. With disappointing people, because the amount that you think you're disappointing people actually is nothing. And you already perform at such a high level that you can bring it back a notch. Yeah. Okay. You'll be okay. Okay. More than, yeah, exactly. More than okay. We have to do so much recalibration. Again, it was beneficial to constantly overwork, overperform, overperform, especially as a woman of color, but especially as a black trainee. Are you kidding me? The scrutiny around, can you really hack it? Do you really belong here? You know what I mean? Are you a diversity hire? Are you that like the scrutiny is in Tense. Yes. So I just want, especially for Black women, like you, when you come in like that, I agree. I understand the world of imposter syndrome and everybody has feelings about even that word and all that stuff anymore. But I couldn't underline even more for you that it's stereotype threat. It's recognizing and having spent years, years with every single mistake that you could possibly make not just impacting you, but all of your people and every every trainee who ever came through who was Black before. And now you're in a position where you literally have to disappoint people if you are going to have the career you want. Exactly. 
there's no avoiding, right? And so much of training is us trying to like, so much of training is figuring out how to keep everybody happy. How do I keep my attending happy and my chief happy and the nurse happy, right? Especially a woman trainee. Oh my gosh. How do you keep every single person in the hospital hierarchy happy, right? Because you have to be nice to everybody. And all of a sudden you're a faculty member and it's not just like, I don't want you to do it. You can't. It's impossible. It's actually maladaptive in academic medicine. Like you got to write a ordinary page that is not great, right? Yes. You you have to go through an iterative process to make it better. So you cannot show, like you can't wait to show your best self until late. And I realized that was one trait that I absolutely needed to change. Yeah. The perfectionism. Mm -hmm. You have to show your best self. Yes. Like you can't draft it. It has to be final. And I realized that is a trait that just needs to be broken because you can't make it in academic medicine without drafting. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. And when you combine that with the stereotype threat, that's a serious mindset and skill orientation that you have to first shift out of and then have skills to do. Because it's not as simple as telling the woman of color, the black trainee, the new black faculty, oh, just send out your specific aims. It'll be fine. I'm like, no, do not do that. Like, I do not want to open you up to trauma. Let's talk about the process. Let's talk about what it looks like to iteratively do this so you don't lose yourself. When you know you're coming in with more vulnerability here to critique reasonable, reasonable fear around critique because of what you've been through. So yeah, I think you're really articulating it exactly right. I'm going to come back to one more thing, though, the disappointing people. So one, you have to do it. The other reason why you have to do it is that the people aren't of one accord. <laughs> so like if you set yourself out to make sure everybody's happy with you, you will actually end up as somebody who's very inauthentic Yeah. because you will be doing one thing to satisfy this person, that person, that person. And as a faculty member, you're the constant. So you actually know that. And when you know that it's very hard to plug into, this is why I'm here. This is my purpose. All of that stuff that you just started with like plugging into a purpose mantra that gives you all that creativity. It's hard to do that when you know you're being different people and you're literally, you know, like having different priorities based on the different conversations. Preach, preach, preach. Rip off the bandaid early, disappoint people early, learn the lesson that even when I disappoint people, when I am keyed into my purpose, when my goal is to get this work done and I'm willing to step out and courage and do the things I need to do, when the success comes, it will be fine. It will be fine. Absolutely. And those same people will come trotting on. Right, they come right back around. And to so, be okay. honest with you, like people don't get disappointed. Like I think so. Some people will. Some people absolutely will. Yeah, I think that's important to say. Some people will. Yeah, I don't want to gloss over the people who yeah. will because there are a lot of immature, absolutely. middle and senior faculty member who will literally throw a fit. So I think that that's important to say, but yes. Absolutely. So that's true. So some people will get disappointed, but there are also sometimes in disappointing people, they recognize the lane in which you're in and the purpose that you have. Yes. And I think that's important for people to also know that too. So Yeah, exactly. It's like, we think disappointment is important because it's almost like, I want you to be at the mindset to be ready to disappoint somebody. But what you realize is that at least half the time, they are not thinking about you. (laughs) So at least half the time, you didn't disappoint anybody. They just got it. They're like, oh, okay, I guess I'll check that box. Moving on. Exactly. 
Like you want to be ready for that, but it's like most of the time that's not what's happening. Okay. Let's keep going. (laughs) Amazing. I love this. Okay. So next thing. So what would you say that you didn't have before you embarked on coaching? I think it's again, so many things, but one thing that really struck me as I was thinking the other day is, is resiliency. I think that when a paper gets rejected or a grant gets unfunded, when you live within the purpose mantra space and you live within your vision and mission space, like you feel, I feel like the transition for me emotionally has moved from loss and grief to just like sadness. And then moving. And as the the sadness goes away and in creating if then pathways, thinking about the what ifs and thinking about grants and grants, especially as funding structural needs, instead of being representative of who I am. Yes. (laughs) It just makes this process very different. So I really believe in what I do. And I'm like, if it doesn't get funded in one way, I've already prepared five different steps for where I can go from here. That's how you know it's a get that grant alumni. Instead of depending on a K or depending on like one one grant to represent what is the typical gold star in academic medicine. So I just, resiliency, I think is, it has been already and will continue to be the, one of the biggest things I've gotten from this program. Yes. And I just want to pull out a gem. So one thing you said was instead of the grant, not getting funded, representing like a judgment on me and my quality, right? It's just information about a pathway. Okay. So the money is not behind door number three. What about door number two? Exactly. And what occurred to me, since I think we've been talking a lot about trainees, it's like the same thing where we would never tell a trainee only apply to one program. We'd be like, boo, what are you doing? They'd be like, oh, I really want to do this. And you'd be like, okay, well, you need to apply it. But they're like, but yeah, it's such a great, I'm so great. You're like, yes, you're great, but do not apply to only one program. And then they give you all the reasons you're like, okay, at least you need to have a list of X. It's kind of like how I think about grants. And it's, of course, you have to be careful. And I say this, you know, this is within a program because it's not about overworking, right? It's not about going nuts. No, you're very strategic about things, but it doesn't make sense to me to have all of your eggs in one basket. And if that basket doesn't work, you are a failure. Okay. Like that is, of course, your stress. We can think about things a little bit more democratically. And I think that it's actually a skill that, you know, I think when you speak to middle and more senior career people, I mean, you can come, cause I'm very nosy. I'm always like, well, how did you get this? But how did this work? But how did you get that? <laughs> and what, what I learned early was I'm like, oh, people democratize their support. Like, yeah. no, they're not, they're, nobody's in this all or nothing suicide mission. They're like, okay, so we did this. And then we did this over here. Then I started nurturing this relationship. So just in case this happened, I was ready. And I'm like, oh, we need to teach this is what we need to be teaching people. Strategy. strategy. Yes. That is it. It's the strategy builds resiliency. Yes. Often people feel like it's okay. I got to get the K then I got to get the ROI. There's no other funding. The linear pathway. Yes. Pathway. And there's again, everything the light touches is ours. So like (laughs) go grab, go grab your gems where you can, but you can teaching about it. Yes. I love it. Bring it back to the Lion King. Okay. I can just go off, but I love it. I think that is right. And it feeds directly into the imposter syndrome and the stereotype threat, because all of it is about diffusing the pressure from any one thing that you're doing, including one meeting, saying no to one meeting, including 
deciding not to write that one paper, that all of that, like no one thing is defines, right? Your value. And the more that you are clear about what are the things that do, the less you're susceptible to that vulnerability, you know, because you already decided, listen, I'm all over here. I'm good. Okay. So what advice would you give to a black woman faculty like you who is, okay, I think I'm going to do this. Like, I think I'm going to embark on this coaching journey. What would you tell her to get the most out of it from your perspective? I think, you know, one of the things if I could go back would be, you know, when we first had our initial coaching call, I was just like, I just need to get to productivity precision. Like, oh, yeah. I want to learn how to manage my calendar, et cetera. And what has really been the most important to me has been the first phase of coaching. So really knowing and assessing your value, working on your purpose mantra, Yep. And thinking about your goals and your activities and how they align. And I think yep. that like the foundational elements of this program is what everything else is built upon. Yep. And if you don't have that clear vision for yourself and your value and what you're bringing to the table and your mission, it's hard to build upon that. And so I ended up towards the middle of the program, just going right back to phase one, yeah. <laughs> really sitting in phase one and living in phase one. And it just yep. made my time in the program just that much stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Phase one, just really knowing your value, doing a full inventory of your activities, yep. seeing what is actually fitting within your mantra, Listen. your purpose. And then if Base the fire. that, send that email saying exactly. thank you so much. I've yes. loved my time on this committee. Yes. I'm uh, moving forward. I suggest these six people to replace me. Goodbye. And it just is like, it's, <laughs> it, it was so necessary. So just really sitting in your value and recognizing and realizing your value is, I think is the critical part and trusting the process. I mean, you've spent a lot of time, energy, thought. Mm-hmm skill into building this with a specific order and mission and follow the order and trust the process and it should work. Yes. I cannot agree more. Thank you for sharing that because it's real. It's so real. First of all, every single person comes in, they're like, listen, teach me this productivity. I keep hearing about productivity, precision. What is it? And I'm like, (laughs) and you know, I get it. But also what I know for sure is that it is worthless without phase one. It's worthless. And that is also the reason why people spend so much time struggling because they're like, oh, well, I tried this. It didn't work for me. I tried that. It didn't work for me. I tried this. And I'm like, I know because that's all superficial. That's all symptoms. You're not getting at the root, the main issue, which is all the stuff we've already talked about. Right. And it's funny because what I've experienced is that people kind of go through phase one. They're like, I don't know, like this is all internal stuff. They think the productivity phase, phase two in the program, they think that's where all of like the hard stuff, okay, now I have to like do stuff. But what's actually true is that I start with the hardest thing. Yes. We start with the hardest part, which is this redefinition of how you're viewing yourself and your value and then putting, putting your actions where your mouth is. Okay. Now we are going to send these emails. Like we are going to readdress this because the thing is nothing else works if you don't make space. So like you have to do it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, so many people have said this. I'm like, I got to change the question because everybody says the same thing, but it's true. It's just true. And I think it's part of the reason why people 
report what you did, which is that like the endurance of the change. It wasn't like I came in, it was great. And now I'm out, I'm back to my old life, right? That's what it like endures. If that makes sense. Okay. Neka, is there anything else you want to share with us before we wrap up? Oh, I mean, Kemi, you're just, you are such a special person. And I think, you know, when I I reflect back on our coaching group and many of us are still together on a DM chat on Twitter and, and daily communications and just the impacts that you have had on so many of us just speaks volumes to who you are as a person, who you are as a coach. You make all of us so proud and you're a light. You know, you are that light who inspires a lot of the rest of us to become lights too. So thank you, Kami, for all that you do. Thank you so much. I receive it and I appreciate it. And I'm so glad that we crossed paths. You are absolutely a delight to have in the program. And y'all bet, I'm just going to say, I'm not trying to put her business out there, but y'all better watch out. I'm just telling you, (laughs) Neka is coming for your money. She's coming for your journals. She's coming. (laughs) I cannot wait to see you take off. You already have, honestly, but yeah, just to bring it back. I'm delighted on behalf of yourself. I'm delighted that you get to experience all the goodness that you are seeking to make in the world that you get to experience the process of doing it also as good. And that's just why I do this. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening with me today. I appreciate your time as I know it's so valuable. I hope this episode was helpful to you and I hope you feel energized to go out and claim your unapologetic career. See you soon.